Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, I can hardly believe it, but it's already hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this Wednesday, March the 8th, 2023. Good morning, Duluth. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Lots of people in Duluth texting in this morning. So just thought every once in a while, right? You just got to give people a little shout out. So hello. Good morning, Duluth. All right. Um, you can always check in with me, by the way, on the text line, 877-933-2484. I know you've already probably heard this um, from news outlets, but just in case you haven't, um, of the four Americans who we earlier reported on um, earlier in the week uh, had been assaulted and abducted last Friday after crossing the U.S. border from Brownsville, Texas into Matamoros, Mexico. Two have been rescued and have now returned home to North Carolina, but two others are dead. Um, The four were on a trip to Mexico in order that um, the one woman that was traveling in the group, um, who has returned home safely, um, could have a um, cosmetic medical procedure, I think is the way I'll describe that. Um, and it raises the, uh, the issue or the concern, or maybe to the awareness of many people for the very first time, medical tourism, which is a booming transnational business between the United States and Mexico. More than a million Americans cross the Mexican border every year um, to access all kinds of um, healthcare services, but many of those are non-medically essential. And so I just think that today it's a good opportunity for um, you to think about um, access to medical care here in the United States and what it costs and why it costs so much and why it costs so much less for the same service three miles across the Mexican border. Um, And then the risk that people are finding themselves willing to take in order to um, access the the, the care that they want. And so just lifting that up back in the news is uh, New York city mayor, Eric Adams. We have been now talking about this um, on multiple occasions (laughs) since um, the mayor had the opportunity to speak at an interfaith breakfast and gave a very robust public testimony about his faith and how his faith influences his service as mayor. Um, And so he's now had opportunity to go on a number of what are called like the Sunday programs. So on Sunday morning, because I know you're, you're at church, so you don't know this, but um, pretty much every broadcast television outlet runs some sort of political news program um, aggregating what happened the week prior or looking forward to what happened or what is going to happen. And people make the quote-unquote rounds of the Sunday shows. Well, this Sunday it was New York City Mayor Eric Adams' opportunity to make a bit of the rounds on the Sunday programs. And, you know, he didn't back down one, one, one inch 
one millimeter. Uh, he, um, he said things like, it's unimaginable that we keep pretending that this is not a country of faith. Um, he was asked to, you know, if he wanted to follow up on or address the comments that he had made at the interfaith breakfast. And um, he said, look, U.S. presidents take, you know, take an oath on the Bible. Um, and I, I ended my swearing in by referencing God because I want God's help. Um, and he wasn't done. He went on to say this. Every citizen that came to this country when they took their oath said, so help me God. Um, he has a very passionate uh, approach to prayer. He's concerned about children. And um, I just encourage you to continue praying for, for Eric Adams um, because God is giving him a platform and he is um, absolutely 100% taking advantage of it for um, a public demonstration of very positive faith. He said, um, uh, we can't have government go to churches and dictate in churches. Um, and we can't have churches, mosques, or synagogues go into government and dictate. But, but we should use our faith when we make policies. He's talking about um, moving away from this idea that, you know, faith is something that we do behind closed doors in, in private spaces and places that we call church, churches or mosques or synagogues. He's talking about um, being a person of faith in all times and in all places. Um, and when asked very specifically about the separation of church and state on CNN's State of the Union on Sunday morning, he said, look, what I believe is you cannot separate your faith. Um, government should not interfere with religion and religion should not interfere with government. But I believe my faith pushes me forward on how I govern and the things that I do. So amen, amen, and amen to Eric Adams. Uh, Heather Zeiger is going to join us next. She is a science writer. She's going to help us understand some of the things happening at the intersection of ethics and our um, system of beliefs and what's going on in the scientific world. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Heather Zeiger's back. She's a science writer. You can find out what she's working on and connect with her at heatherzeiger.com. Good morning, Heather. Morning, Carmen. Okay, so um, I want to talk a little bit about biological sex, um, and I want to talk about people who transition, um, seek to transition medically from their biological sex to inhabit a body that is different, and then what happens when they want to detransition. Detransitioning is um, sometimes in the news, but it doesn't get much coverage. What, uh, what are some things you can tell us about this? Sure. And um, just caveat, like, you know, this is a big political topic. So I'm going to uh, talk about just from a medical ethics standpoint. Okay. So Thank understanding you. there's a lot of baggage with this topic. Um, so the Associated Press actually had a really interesting article about detransitioning and how common it is. And it isn't often reported in the news, but they were talking about it because different states are uh, uh, have different laws or bills going to Congress about restricting 
um, what they call gender affirming care, particularly for adolescents. So the way that this is supposed to go is an adolescent has some sort of um, gender dysphoria. They are not comfortable with their biological sex. They see themselves as different from their biological sex. So, you know, biologically, we are male or female, and that's based on your XY chromosomes. That's based on, uh, you know, your biological uh, makeup. So, but they see that for various reasons, they are not comfortable with this and they feel or see that they are a different that maybe the female sees herself as male and so they be, should begin with psychological counseling determination of uh that in fact this is gender dysphoria and the first step is puberty blocking medication if they are an adolescent um and that's where things are very contentious uh, one of the reasons why this is contentious is uh, in the medical world Usually we deal with evidence-based medicine and the studies as far as the long-term effects of this have not, uh, have not uh, been done. And additionally, with children in particular, you know, when we're doing clinical trials, when we're doing studies on things, there is a higher bar and there should be, right, because it's children. So if, uh, in, if teens continue uh, or young, young adults continue on this path and they take uh, hormones, estrogen if they want to transition to female testosterone if they want to transition to male some people before age 18 may get some surgery but that's actually not as common usually surgery is after age 18 if they do get surgery it's what they call top surgery it's usually women removing their breasts um the ap kind of downplayed these statistics but i want to point this out from a medical ethics standpoint that about one percent of people express regret so that means, and why regret, that maybe is regret for uh, they have changed their mind and stopped taking hormones or regret over surgeries. And this is not just adolescents. This is all the people that they talk to. And they talk to several thousand uh, looking at uh, the medical records. Some of them stopped through the transition process, but don't necessarily regret having tried it or started it. So they, they make that qualifier. I would say that because you have some percentage that does regret this, that means that they are not getting the medical care or the care that they need. In other words, I think that um, this needs to be addressed, that at least in these cases, and I think there's a good argument to say in maybe more cases than, than just the ones that are reported here, that... Um, these people that are struggling with gender dysphoria, who are truly struggling and suffering, this isn't the physical changes or a medical physiological solution, isn't or isn't the solution that in fact it is some other solution needs to happen here. Um, additionally, I want to point out, and this is this is was not stressed in the AP article, uh, but. Yeah, they did quote a guy who is uh, director of transgender medicine in Boston at a Boston medical center. And he said it's difficult to quantify people who choose to transition or to stop taking um, medications because they often don't go to the physicians who originally prescribed the hormones or started them on the transition path. And he doesn't go into that. But there was an article last July in the Journal of American Medical Association that talked about how often people who want to stop taking hormones or to detransition are stigmatized 
or treated badly by the physician that they first went to. And this was actually, um, you know, this article handled it in a very, uh, you know, just doing the interviews, taking a look at is proper physician behavior. And some, several people reported that their, their doctor was mean to them, was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, said, well, maybe you should have thought about this before. And, you know, so they go to a different doctor than the one that had helped him also, or I should say had given them the, the uh, hormones and started them on the transition path. And uh, some of this is because these doctors are untrained in how to deal with, okay, now we've got to roll back some of these effects. Uh, and then some of it is, is of course, part of this political baggage and, and some of these other issues surrounding uh, transgender uh, issues. Mm. Um, it's really helpful. Thank you for wading into uh, into the subject matter area. Um, I think that when we talk about regret, um, particularly when when we're talking about what amounts to cosmetic or plastic surgery in many many cases, um, uh, the the regret percentages are really high for people who. Um, I mean, we do have stats on that, like long-term regret related to plastic surgery. Like those stats already exist in the culture. And so it does not surprise me that some percentage of people um, who have these kinds of surgeries um, eventually come to the place where they do regret having having done that. And so what we're talking about are things that then cannot be reversed because in many cases we're talking about healthy uh, organs and body parts that have been removed. And so those are some of the um, ethical questions and considerations that you'll want to think about as you are considering headlines that you're reading about detransitioning um, increasingly as a part of the conversation uh, in the culture today. We're going to continue our conversation with Heather Zeiger in just a moment. I'm going to ask her if radiologists are now on the list of people who are going to lose their jobs uh, and be replaced by AI. How would you feel if you knew that A computer, and only a computer, was reading your mammogram. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Joy still comes in the morning. Hope still walks all right, we're talking with science writer Heather Zeiger about a number of science and medical-related headlines and bringing the mind of Christ to bear on them. Um, Heather, let's talk about the use of AI, particularly as applied to radiology. Should radiologists be concerned that they're they're now on the list of those whose jobs will be replaced by artificial intelligence? Uh, so the short answer is no. They don't have to be worried about losing their jobs. Um, I think that where AI is helpful is in assisting the radiologist. Um, where you don't want to go wrong is when you have situations, um, and you know whether it's this country or other countries, where hospitals want to save money. And so they rely too much on AI and don't hire enough radiologists. So that's that's where that's where I would get concerned. And the reason why that's a little concerning is, um, well, there's several reasons. But so AI can help 
by looking. So when you're dealing with artificial intelligence, that's really just algorithms. So it's fed a bunch of information. So for radiologists, say um, for breast cancer, for example, the algorithm is given all of these images of different types of breast cancer where someone else has already identified the breast cancer. And so here the AI is learning off of these images. That's great. So that's fine for when a radiologist is looking at an image and, you know, maybe they miss something that was subtle that an AI points out, hey, you might check here, then the radiologist can take a closer look and either confirm, yeah, you know what, that was, that was a good catch or no, that's nothing. So where the problem is, is that human bodies are different. And so this only works if you're seeing something that follows a pattern. Right. But of course, with cancer and with the human body, sometimes you 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 know, you still need the art of the radiologist or the pathologist to be able to discern, well, these cells look abnormal or this looks abnormal, but not necessarily something we're used to seeing. Uh, the other problem is that you have to be really careful what kind of information you feed in the uh, algorithm. So in the past, algorithms maybe had a lot of information on um, patients who were typically uh, of, let's see, one of the examples is they didn't have enough information on black patients, but they did on white or uh, some other patients. Well, that makes a difference. For example, Mm -hmm. in breast cancer, where we know African-American women have a higher incidence of getting the metastatic severe breast cancer. And there's not a lot of and and doctors don't necessarily know why that they have a higher incidence of these severe types of breast cancer. So we know that, okay, there's something different here. We don't know why. And so you want to be sure that if you're going to use an algorithm, that it has the right information. In mm-hmm. there too. I wanna um I, I wanna talk with you as we move from a conversation about AI to a conversation, I don't know, am I allowed to call it OI organoid <laughs> intelligence, um, brain organoids and ultimately biocomputers. This is sort of like frontier conversation, but you know, I like to be the first one that people hear it from. So what what is or- organoid intelligence? Yeah, so this is kind of, this is some weird stuff, and yet uh, very interesting. So we can, it's a type of biocomputing. So um, it's intelligence in a Petri dish. (laughs) I think there's sci-fi stories about this. Uh, No, there totally are. uh, So artificial intelligence is, you know, it's computer programming. It's very sophisticated algorithms. And like I just said, you feed a lot of data, but, you know, you run into limits, on what computing can do. And we know these limits because um, even all this discussion with chat GPT, you know, it's still, you read this and you're like, yeah, but that still isn't the same as a creative writer. Um, You know, we use CAPTCHA and that kind of thing to make sure that it's a human user because human intelligence still, uh, the brain is still far better than modern computers. So the idea is like, well, what if we use these organoids and these are not really many organs, but they're three-dimensional clusters of cells, uh, the types of cells you find in organs. So they have made brain organoids. So those are made of brain cells, three-dimensional clusters, and they do have the neural uh, impulses, right? So they have some functionality, but they're not really a mini brain. 
Uh, so the idea is like, well, what if we use these brain cells, like synapses, that kind of thing, to do biocomputing? So this is kind of the idea here. Um, I think two things that are very interesting about this. First of all, this goes to show that, you know, artificial intelligence really, there was always this idea it could mimic the human brain. And then, you know, those of us that think, no, you know what, that's too reductionistic. And it turns out, yeah, you know what, artificial intelligence can't quite mimic the human brain. We actually want to get closer to using a type of human brain. And I think the other thing it shows is that, um, you know, throughout modern history, we've liked to compare the brain to our most sophisticated technology. So, right, you know, it's been the computer for quite a while, and then it was algorithms, big data, and now you have organoids, and, you know, probably next will be something like quantum computing. But always, we want to compare the brain to our most sophisticated technology, and the technology always falls a little short of describing the brain. So I, I always, I think that's, that's pretty amazing. All right, um, Heather, as always, it, it's a feast. It's an intellectual feast to spend time with you. So thank you so much. Um, that's Heather Zeiger. She is a science writer, freelance science writer out of Dallas, Texas. She's a research analyst with the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. You can find her at heatherzeiger.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All right, let's uh, spend a little time thinking about and talking about teenagers. So I want you to bring a teenager who you know and love into mind, or maybe one you've seen and are scared of. <laughs> maybe that's the teenager you should bring into mind right now. Um, teenagers are searching. They're inquisitive. They, um, they actually know that they don't know it all, but they feel like they're expected to know it all. Um, so when a teenager is searching... Who are they, um, like, where are they looking and who are they searching with? Like, to whom are they asking the questions that they really are asking about who they are and where they fit into the world and what in the world they're in the world to do? Um, those are the three big questions, identity, belonging, and purpose. And we like to talk with Kara Powell from the Fuller Youth Institute about those three big questions. Um, she has reframed her three big questions book um, into a 60-day exploration that's actually designed for teenagers. Um, and so we're going to talk about the three big questions that shape your future, a 60-day exploration of who you were made to be. Kara Powell, up next. Kara Powell's joining us again today. Uh, she's the Chief of Leadership Formation and Executive Director of the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Theological Seminary. She's the co-author of Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager, and she's joining us today to talk about the next book in that particular series of conversations. Kara, um, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, Carmen, it's great to be with you and your listeners. So the first conversation that I recall having with you, you taught us about withing. So I'm thinking that we should reestablish the importance of 
withing and how we are with young people and then um, remind people of the three big questions and then explore this new resource, um, which is the 60-day adventure for teenagers themselves. Sounds fantastic. So really the heart of withing is that young people need adults to journey alongside them or to accompany them. And so that's what we get to do as parents, step-parents, grandparents, mentors, fellow congregation members, is to journey alongside them. Um, And the good news is at this stage, as we're coming out of the pandemic, young people are more open to relationship. I think, you know, they felt loneliness. They've been literally distant from people. And so now over 70% of young people ages 13 to 25, according to the Springtide Research Institute, say that they have a new openness to relationship. So uh, that's incredibly good news and really gives us an open door to get a little closer to the teenagers and young adults who are most in our lives already. Yeah, this is a um, really positive invitation, I think, to lean into relationships with young people. Um, You taught us about the three big questions, um, and then you invited us uh, into a conversation about, you know, how those questions change every teenager. So remind us what the three big questions are. Yeah. So I'm a parent of a 22, 20 and 16 year old. And on any given day, you know, they are asking questions about friendship and what they're going to do on Friday night and this at this point, college decisions, etc. But we think and we found that there are bigger questions underneath those questions. These are the questions behind the questions, so to speak. And by interviewing uh, several dozen teenagers and then surveying a couple thousand teenagers nationwide, we've landed on those three questions being identity, which is the question of who am I, belonging, where do I fit, and then the question of purpose, which is about what, what difference can I make? So identity, belonging, and purpose. Those are the three big questions. And let me say, those are questions that not just teenagers and young adults are navigating. Those of us over 30, we're navigating them too. It's just for those of us over 30, they're more at a low simmer, whereas for teenagers and young adults, they're at a rolling boil. And so I invite us all, as we think about the young people closest to us, as they start to do something that feels a little askew, a little a little unlike who they normally are. When I have stopped and asked, okay, what is this young person seeking? Are they seeking a sense of identity? Are they seeking a sense of belonging? Or are they seeking a sense of purpose? All of a sudden, it's like the penny drops, and I understand what they're after, and I can better journey alongside them, or I can better with them, to go back to with as a verb, I can better with them now that I'm better informed and have more empathy. So we're talking with Dr. Kara Powell. We're talking about three big questions that shape your future. It's a 60-day devotional designed um, for teenagers to help them answer life's biggest questions. It's also designed for you as an adult who loves a teenager and is willing to walk with them um, in this uh, really, really important part of life because, you know, as they are becoming who they're going to be and figuring out where they fit and what a, what kind of difference they're going to make in the world— um, wonderful to have the the counsel the the counsel of somebody walking alongside them who loves them and loves God and hopefully is helping them answer those questions um, from God's view as well. Kara, talk about um, the the expectations maybe that sometimes we as adults have of teenagers. 
Um, and sometimes those are wound up in who we are. Help us to help them sort of expect them to be who God wants them to be, not just fulfilling some, I don't know, weird wish that we have for them. Yeah. Well, I think it starts with our own self-awareness. And let me just say that I find myself that if I'm feeling insecure, if I'm, say, putting pressure on my kids, if I'm just feeling emotional heat about anything, if I step back and ask myself, okay, is this, is this threatening my identity? Am I searching for belonging? Am I hungry for purpose? It also gives me a better lens for me to understand myself. And so identity, belonging, and purpose, these are glasses that we could view our own attitudes and actions through and just be more self-aware and mindful adults, mentors, parents, grandparents, etc. But here's the good news, Carmen, is that Jesus offers the best answers to these questions. Um, and that's what the, the good news of the gospel is all about. And that's what three big questions that shape every teenager and that shape your future are both about is how do we help young people know that when it comes to identity, Jesus makes them enough. They don't have mm. to feel insecure. They don't feel and have to feel inadequate. Jesus makes them enough. When it comes to belonging, how do we help young people know that they belong with God's people? In the midst of a world that loves and likes them conditionally, God's people are present with them unconditionally. And then lastly, when it comes to purpose, how do we help young people know that they're part of God's story? They serve not to look good on social media or to put it on their college applications or because some adult wants them to, but because they're part of God's unfolding story. And that's what both of these books, one geared for adults and one is a 60-day devotional journey for young people, are really all about is let's, let's rest in Jesus's best answers to those questions. Uh. That's so good. Three big questions that change every teenager. You as an adult walking with them might be interested in three big questions that shape, um, or let's get those backwards. Sorry. Three big questions that change uh, every teenager. Good for you as the adult walking with a student, a teenager who would be asking three big questions that shape your future. That's the 60-day devotional we're talking about uh, today with Kara Powell. More in just a minute here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Returning now to our conversation with Kara Powell about three big questions that shape your future. This is a 60-day uh, exploration de designed for teenagers to help them know who they were made by God to be. Uh, and we're um, encouraging you to not only check out this book for teenagers, but also the one for parents and leaders, Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager, Making the Most of Your Conversations and Connections 
with the teenagers in your life. Kara Powell is here talking with us again today. Um, Kara, let's move from um, maybe from identity to belonging. You, yeah. You're really helping teens tackle this question of like, you know, life is a puzzle. Where do I fit? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, young people, what we've heard from them as we've spent time with them is that they're looking for a place where they can feel safe. That's the word they use. They want to be safe and safe to be themselves. And, you know, we want the family and the church to be that place. And so the book, both geared for adults, as well as the book geared for young people, uh, both point to that. How do we help the church be that uh, warm, empathetic place? And, you know, we as adults, often we end up judging young people. And what we're trying to bring about is uh, all sorts of tools to help adults journey with young people, not to judge, but to journey with young people. It's interesting. Some of my psychology colleagues at Fuller Seminary, where I, I teach, I'm a professor, they would say that actually this question of belonging is a leading question, kind of the first among equals. Um, for all generations, but maybe especially young people. And so, you know, let me just say uh, for parents and step parents and grandparents listening, if your young person is struggling, um, stop and ask yourself, how are they doing with belonging? Are they feel like, do they feel like they belong at school, at church, maybe even at home? Maybe ask them that question. Where do you feel like you most belong? Where do you feel like you least belong? How can we make our home a more welcoming, hospitable place for you? It's good to have those real honest conversations because belonging is such a hunger for young people. I was in a um, a conversation with a young person and I said, you know, if an adult in your life who you knew loved you were to ask you a really good question, what's a really good question to ask? And mm. and she said, I just wish somebody would ask me, where where do I feel safe? Because wow. I, because right now I don't. I don't feel safe anywhere. And yeah, so I feel yeah. like I feel like this question about belonging, this exploration of their sense of, you know, life being a puzzle and them being like an awkward piece that's trying to like turn and turn and turn until it finds yeah. the place that it fits. Yeah. Um, if you're like a puzzle piece and you're, you know, you're mixed in with a box that where your piece doesn't actually ever fit, like that's yeah. so hard. That's yeah. just so hard. Kids so feel hard. so awkward. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I know a daily reality for many families is, especially now at this point as we're coming out of the pandemic, is that kids maybe don't want to go to church. Um, mm -hmm. They've drifted relationally from friends at church, from mentors at church. And so, you know, especially with a middle school or high schooler, this puts you in a tough position as a parent. You know, do I, quote, make, end quote, my, my kid go to church? Um, here's what I would say, and, and we've actually done this at various points with our kids, is let your kid express their concerns to a pastor. You know, let your kid meet with a youth pastor, with a middle school pastor, with a small group leader, uh, maybe even your senior pastor, and let them share some of what they're struggling with when they don't feel like they belong. Um, and then I would say this for teenagers, uh, if your kid can get connected, not just through, say, Sundays or, or midweeks, but if there's an upcoming time where they can go away, whether it's winter retreat, whether it's a mission trip, I'll tell you, those times away with peers and mentors, it's the equivalent to about six months of coming on Sunday mornings relationally, if not more. So, I, you know, if, if every Sunday morning is, is a bit of a conflict, 
then look ahead and what's a weekend, what's an overnighter, what's a short-term trip that your kid can go on, maybe bring a friend of their own and help them restore those relational connections. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Um, Kara, when we think about purpose, I have to just confess to you, I know a lot of adults um, who wouldn't be able to really answer this question. <laughs> yes. In a very in a very concrete way. So yeah. um, like, what are some questions that teens are asking themselves, right? Uh, or should maybe be asking themselves or might ask themselves to get this conversation started about purpose? Yeah, yeah. Well, the first two that come to mind are what are you gifted at and mm. what are you passionate about? <laughs> you know, what are what are you good at? Um, what skills do you have, whether it's I'm really good at skateboarding or I'm really good on social media or I'm really good explaining things to other people? I'm really good at math, you know, whatever it might be. What are you really, I'm really good at cooking on and on we can go. And then what are you passionate about? You know, are you passionate about people who are in poverty? Are you passionate about people who are homeless, people who are being sex trafficked? You know, what are your areas of passion and how can you bring those two circles together? How can you bring your gifts and your passions together? And then, you know, sometimes young people have a hard time really figuring out how those two circles align. And so mm -hmm. that's when we, as adults, we can maybe help. So, you know, with one of our kids, she is really gifted in social media. She's just got a great savvy and, and pays attention to social media. She actually helps me with my social media. And, and so, you know, she's been helping a couple different ministries with their social media. When she was a senior in high school, she was basically the social media intern for our high school ministry. Um, and that was a great intersection of a skill that she had, she was really sharp at with what she was also passionate about. So, but, but she needed Dave and me, my husband and me to nudge her forward a little bit. Hey, why don't you talk to the youth pastor about how you can maybe help with social media and, and help her even find time on her calendar to do that, et cetera. So this is where we as adults, you know, we can ask those questions and then we can help our kids think about next steps to take that again, are that intersection of what am I passionate about and what am I skilled at? I love that because like creating an internship or helping them identify some other adult in your church who knows like works at that intersection of things. Absolutely. Um, right. Like they would never know who that person is, but that might be the ideal mentor for them yeah. for the next uh, you know part of their journey. And I do recognize that you know, this emerging generation has a real desire to be mentored. And yeah. I see a lot of people in my age group who are certainly competent to mentor, but because we were never mentored, we don't have any idea how to offer that. Like, yeah. I, I don't I don't know how to offer that to an emerging generation person because it never happened really for me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, my best advice, and I'm trying to do this more and more as a parent, as well as a leader in general, is um, never make a statement if you can ask a question instead. And mm. so I'm trying to discipline myself instead of making a suggestion, instead of worrying about, quote, what to say, end quote, how do I how do I ask the good question that can help whoever it is, either somebody who works for me or one of my kids um, move a little bit forward in their growth. And so that's what I would invite all of us to think about is instead of tr instead of feeling the pressure to have just the right advice to give to a young person. There's freedom in saying, I'm not trying to give advice. I'm trying to ask questions that help them figure it out. And I walk alongside them as they figure it out. Which gets me off the hook for having to be the expert. Exactly. Exactly. Right, which also, think, yeah, that's so good. 
Yeah. And I think there's a lot of parents, and I know this because they told me this, they, they're struggling with their own spiritual growth. And the mm -hmm. good news is we don't have to be, you know, the end all be all spiritual mentor. We can share a little bit about what we're experiencing and ask our kids, you know, a question or two to help them learn a little bit more about Jesus themselves. All right. Well, maybe you and a young person, you know, together could do the 60-day exploration Absolutely. of who you were made to be. The book is Three Big Questions That Shape Your Future. Kara Powell has joined us today. It's a, um, it's a work she's co-authored with some colleagues out at Fuller Youth Institute, as well as um, uh, a friend from who's, it sounds like, is serving in, in ministry with young people. So you want to tell us quickly about your co-authors? Yeah, absolutely. So Brad Griffin, he works with me at the Fuller Youth Institute. He's a longtime colleague. And then Christelle Acevedo, she's a wonderful pastor in North Carolina. And we learned so much from her and what she had to offer through her thinking and writing. It was really a joy to have the three of us work together on this. That's so great. You can um, find Kara and not only these books, but tons of other great resources at karapowell.com. I'll put all the links in the show notes um, for today's episode. Kara, as always, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. I love a good conversation with you, Carmen. Likewise, three big questions that shape your future. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, lots of folks on the text line resonating with what Kara was saying, and lots of you, um, you know, communicating your appreciation for the conversation. Uh, Mary uh, texted, and Jesus asked far more questions than uh, than he answered. I actually had that in um, in my notes to make a point of here. Like, um, never make a statement when you can ask a question instead. So, never make a statement or a declaration or a proclamation. Um, when you can ask a question instead. So maybe that could be our challenge for the day. Maybe today we could, when we're tempted to make a statement about something, a proclamation or a declaration, you know, put our stake in the ground. Maybe instead we could ask a question. Um, why do you think that? Or, um, wow, where might that lead? Or, you know, so what kind of question could help the other person figure something out for themselves? Instead of telling somebody how to do something, maybe ask a question about how do you think we might approach this. What are some ideas? What do you see? What are you observing? Um, and then walk alongside them as they figure it out. Like, how might that change the day uh, before us? Share the journey. Jesus knew all the answers to all the questions. And yet Jesus asked a lot of questions. Why? Because he cared about people, cared about the, the individual person. He knew the importance of discovery and the aha moment. And so maybe we could implement that today in our relationships, not just with younger people, but with everybody. Maybe ask the question to the next person that you see or talk to, where, where do you really feel like you fit in right now? Like if you're a puzzle piece, where do you really feel like you fit in right now? Where's the good fit in terms of relationships or um, work or community? Where do you feel like you really fit in right now? All right, you and I today, let's not make a statement when we could ask a question instead. Let's train ourselves up in the questions that Jesus asked of others. Um, what would Jesus ask you if he were going to ask you a question today that would provoke you 
on the next leg of your spiritual journey? Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Check out what we got going on at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.